0: Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we are going to pick up right where we left off last week. We finished last week in Mark chapter 9. And uh, last week we had a pretty tough subject to cover. We uh, we talked about uh, Jesus' teachings on hell and on judgment. And uh, it was kind of a difficult message um, Probably not uh, the most popular message to hear, not the most easy message to hear. So fortunately, today we are moving ahead into Mark chapter 10 to a much easier subject, divorce. Okay. It's been nice being your pastor. Verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Father, we ask for your special grace this morning as we look at a very painful issue. God, a very hurtful issue. Uh, Lord, we we know that all around us and among us are people who have been damaged and hurt and painfully wounded by divorce. And God, we pray for your grace for them this morning. We pray for your healing. We pray for, God, just um, restoration. We pray that we'd be the kind of church that takes care of such people and and ministers to them and brings them in and supplies their need. Father, our, our request this morning is that you make us a church that exalts marriage, God, make us a church that fights hard, fights to the end for marriage, for husbands, for wives, for families. God, help us not to be lazy in this area. Help us not to be sinful. Help us not to be disobedient. God, make us the people you've called us to be. Thank you, Jesus, that you never divorce us. Thank you, Lord, that you you stand with us and you love us forever. Help us to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they ask him a question. And the question appears in your text in verse 2. The question they ask him is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, that is the wrong question on a bunch of different levels, okay? It's the wrong question, first of all, because it's asked with the wrong motive. If you'll notice in verse 2, the Pharisees ask the question to test Jesus, okay? It's never a good idea. Uh, A lot of people actually approach the Bible that way. They approach Jesus that way. They already know what they think think. They already know what they believe, and they're just asking Jesus almost as a formality. They don't really want to know what he believes. Uh, a lot of people do this when, when making a purchase. Uh, a lot of folks will pick out the car they want. Uh, they, will, uh, they will figure out the financing. They will get it all straight with the bank. They will be at the dealership with the paper in front of them. And they will say, honey, do you think we ought to pray about this? Well, yeah, let's pray about it. Lord, help us. Should we buy this car? Amen. Yeah, I think God wants us to. You know, we have God's blessing. There we go. Okay. That's not coming to Jesus asking him what, what he thinks. That's not coming seeking his will. And these guys did not want to know what Jesus thought. In fact, what What they were really trying to do was to trip Jesus up. They were trying to test Jesus. They were trying to get him in trouble. Um, It is very certain that in this day, as well as our day, to publicly speak about divorce and to do so in a conservative manner is to really lose all of your friends and risk your life most of the time. Uh, It was real for John the Baptist. If you remember in in Matthew, uh, the Bible tells us how John the Baptist got beheaded. It's very clear what he did. Uh, Matthew chapter fourteen, verse three says, "For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Herod had uh, had uh, had an affair with uh, his brother's wife, Philip's wife, and they she had Herodias had left Philip and married Herod, and John had condemned that publicly." Uh, verse four says, "Because John had." "...had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her." And most of you know the end of that story, it ends with John's head rolling down the stairs... And uh, John going to heaven, by the way. Uh, but it's, it's not popular to speak on divorce. I believe the Pharisees were not only trying to test Jesus, they were trying to trick him. They were trying to get him into a position where he would say something that would get him in trouble that would get him in trouble with the masses. And so that was their purpose for asking this question. And so I'm about to publicly speak on marriage and divorce. And I just want you guys to know it's great being your friend. Uh, I loved you. And uh, I'll look back on those times very, very um, affectionately And hopefully you'll still be my friend. Not only is it the wrong motive, it's the wrong question. Okay? It's the wrong question. A lot of times what you'll find in the scriptures is people will ask Jesus a question and he won't answer it the way that they want it answered, okay? What, what are they wanting to know? They're wanting to know where's the legal loophole for divorce, right? I mean, if I want to divorce my wife, how do I get out of it, Jesus? What what's the lawful way to do that? Can I do that in a way that I'm still right with you? Can I do that in a way that's still with your blessing? Jesus, how how can I get a divorce? Show me the way in which I can get a divorce. Show me me when it's okay. Well, Jesus as he does this often, doesn't answer a question right away. He asks them another question. He says, well, what what does the Scripture say? What's Moses command you? Moses, it's kind of a reference to the Old Testament, to the law, first five books of the Old Testament. And they do something here that's really, again, very popular in our day. They do what's called selective Bible reading. Have you ever, you ever heard of that? Selective Bible reading is you go ahead and pick out the passages that you like that support your view, and then you lift those up and say, well, this is what the Bible says, okay? And, and so there's a whole Old Testament full of verses on adultery. I mean, there's some really just some hard stuff. I mean, the Old Testament it was, you know, if you committed adultery you often got stoned. You got executed for it. I mean, there's all kinds of passages about that. They pick one four verses in Deuteronomy in which basically Moses is dealing with the collateral damage of divorce okay here's the reality no matter what God commands the reality is the people are going to break his commands true or false true right people are going to mess up they're going to be adulterous they're going to they're, 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 the reality is there's going to be broken relationships there's going to be divorce and so Moses in Deuteronomy 21 was dealing with that and he was dealing with that in a way to protect the innocent party especially the woman okay so if a man put his his wife away, if he divorced her in the, in the Old Testament, she may not have a means to pro- provide for herself. She may not have a family to go back to. She may not have a, be able to get a job. Uh, jobs were not very prevalent for women in that day. She couldn't be a property owner. She probably didn't have any land. And so she might just actually die of, of, of not being able to be taken care of. And so Moses arranges a means by which the, the husband ought to, to write a certificate of a divorce that makes it almost in a way where she can be remarried so that she can take care of herself and be provided for. And so that is the pe- that is the the passage they grab from the Old Testament to support their view of basically no fault divorce, in which a man can divorce his wife for pretty much any reason. She burns the beans, or she's not a good cook, or she gained some weight, or or whatever. Okay, and and here is basically Jesus comes at that by 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 not answering it, and he not he doesn't answer it because it's the wrong question. Divorce is a painful thing. Divorce is a brutal thing on people, on families. And, and so to ask the question, what, what, what's so what's the what's the way in which I can do this? That's almost like asking, "What's the best way to drop an anvil on your femur and break it?" You know, or "What's the best way to drink battery acid?" You know, "What's the best way to put sandburrs in my bed?" You know, I mean, I mean, that's it's almost like asking that, and that's that's not the that's not the question we want to answer. Okay, we don't want to do those things. We don't want to hurt people. We don't want to hurt ourselves. We don't want to dishonor Jesus. And so, for me to preach a sermon today, which a lot of people would like for me to preach on, when is it okay to be divorced? When is it okay to remarry? We're just not going to preach those sermons, and the reason we're not going to preach those sermons is it's the wrong question to ask. As a church, that's not the question that's going to be burning on our hearts, okay? Just like you're never going to hear me preach a sermon. When is it okay to beat your neighbor to the point you cripple him, you know? Or when is it okay to humiliate your kids, you know, because you're irritated with them? You're not going to hear me preach that sermon. You know why? Because we want to raise ourselves to a higher standard, okay? Um, This was a common problem, actually, in Jesus' ministry. All the times he had people misquoting and misinterpreting the Old Testament. Let me give you one of the most famous ones. Matthew chapter 5 this is right in line with what the pharisees are doing here in matthew chapter 5 jesus quotes what they often say that an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth how many of you heard that verse in the old testament an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth that's a common verse isn't it and the pharisees and scribes they had taken that verse and they had made that the the relationship verse they'd made that this is how you deal with conflict an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth in other words you hit me in the eye you better duck because here you got one coming right and and, and they would say, well, the Bible says an eye for an eye to... No, 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 no. You're missing the spirit of that passage. The reason the Bible says that is because when someone hits you in the eye, what is your sinful tendency? Your sinful tendency is to punch him in the throat first, right? You disable him, and then you knock out both eyes and nose, their teeth, and kick him in the shins. And then you're like, we're even, right? I mean, that, that's our tendency, okay? And so what Jesus, what the Old Testament is saying is, no, 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 no. There should be justice, okay? It is a verse that restrains vengeance, all right, but they were using it as this is the relationship verse. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Verse 39, here's what Jesus says. The seven eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I say to you, don't resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him on the other also you see how Jesus says, no, you're missing the spirit of of the scriptures, okay? So as as he talks about divorce here, the question is not, how do I get out of my marriage? The question is not, when is it okay to divorce? The question is, friends, the burning question that the church of Jesus Christ must answer in 2013, the burning question that ought to be on my heart and on your heart is this. How do we stay married? That's the question. How do we stay married? How do, how, how do I love one woman for my entire life? How do I sacrifice for her? How, how, do, I, how do I persevere? How, how, do I, how do I stay married? How do I live a Christ-exalting marriage? And then the reason that question ought to burn in our hearts is because of the reality that marriage is really hard. True? At 5th Street, nobody Amen. I said, marriage is really hard. Y'all just looked at me. I said, marriage is really hard. They all just looked at me. I was like, you guys have not been married long enough to know this, evidently. We got some amens here, though. Carolyn's saying, man, I live with Tom Casey a long time, and it's hard, right? I mean, amen. amen. That's right. Marriage is hard, it's difficult. Right, that's enough, Carolyn. Don't, dry, don't rub it in. Man, it demands time and patience and forgiveness, it demands forgiveness. Did I say forgiveness? It demands it, does it not? It demands that we bear with faults and mistakes and irritations and idiosyncrasies of another person for a lifetime. You you know what? You see everything in marriage. You hardly see anything at church, do you? I mean, you look around. People look like they got it all together. You have no idea what transpired in the minivan on the way over here, okay? You don't know what happened there people don't have it all together. In marriage, you see everything. You see people when they're sick and tired and sinful and frustrated and overwhelmed and insecure. And you see their fears and their depression and their despair. You raise kids together. By the way, that's really hard. Raising kids is hard. Sometimes it's brutal. I mean, mean, it is. Some of you know that. Sometimes it's really tough and you do that together and you got to be on the same team and and that the last question we want to ask is, how should I get out of my marriage? How can I? Where's the loophole? What, is, it, is it lawful for me to divorce my spouse? That's the last question we want to ask. In fact, the spirit of Lincoln Avenue ought to be this. There are no back doors. We're going to make this work, right? We're going to make it work. And we're going to make it work. Partly because, let me, let me be fair to the scriptures, marriage is really hard. But you know what? Marriage is also really good. Amen? Marriage is also really good. Mar- marriage has the capacity because it is a gift of God. It is God's plan. It is God's design. It has the capacity to satisfy and to fulfill like, like no other relationship. Let me read you one of my favorite verses on marriage in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 5, 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? He's not talking about his will, by the way. He's talking about his wife. And not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth—a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. I mean, the Bible—the Bible extends this, this this picture of marriage as a good thing. Proverbs eighteen twenty two talks about the goodness of marriage. Proverbs nineteen fourteen talks about a prudent wife being a, a blessing to her husband, a gift to the Lord. And so, marriage is hard, but it's also really good. But we have to deal with this reality and the reality is is that some marriages will end okay I wish that I could tell you that that wouldn't be the case but we're just talking about reality here we're not talking about what God commands we're not talking about what God suggests we're not talking about an option we're just talking about the reality is we live in a sinful world and in this sinful world the reality is some marriages will end why will they end because some people will be adulterous some people will be selfish they'll be self centered they'll be unloving they'll have hard hearts talks about that in verse 5, because of the hardness of your heart, some people will be completely unresponsive to to attempts by the Holy Spirit to convict them, attempts by their husband or their wife to reconcile. And so the reality is some marriages will end. Now let me answer this question because it's very pertinent for us today. What does God think of those folks? What if you find yourself in the situation today? Your marriage has already ended. It's already over. I had two ladies come up to me last week. We've been reading through through the Bible, reading through uh, the the letters of Paul together as a church. And, And last week, 1 Corinthians Corinthians 7 was one of those passages that two different ladies in two different services come up to me, broken, saying, Pastor, what do I do? What do I do? I didn't realize this was in the Bible. I didn't know this when I was married the first time. What do I do now? And, And here's the reality. God loves you, okay? To answer the question, does God love me even though my spouse abandoned me or even though I've gotten a divorce or even though I'm remarried? You have no idea how much God loves you. You have no idea how faithful God will be to you. God forgives sin no matter. The sin, the 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 sin of divorce, is not the unpardonable sin. And our job today is to learn to go forward. Do you remember how Jesus handled the adulteress in, in the New Testament? Remember that in John chapter eight where a woman is caught in the act of adultery and they, they throw her out in the street and there's a, a crowd of guys with rocks in their hand ready to execute her and, and, and Jesus stoops down and he writes in the dirt. I don't know what he wrote. My personal opinion is he wrote the sins of those guys. I think he's writing names, you know. August 31st, you know, whatever, you know. He's writing, flow, whatever, you know. And, and man, all of a sudden, guys are dropping rocks and they're leaving until only Jesus is left. He lifts up the lady's head. The lady looks at him and he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I think that's a great picture of what Jesus would say uh, to us today. Is he hey, you need to repent of your sin. You need to deal with whatever you need to deal with. And now the, the question is, how do I move forward with Jesus? How do I move forward and honor Jesus? How do I move forward and be, and be Christ-centered in my life? I think that's what Jesus would want of you today. John Piper, I think, does a great job. He, here's a quote from him about this passage in Mark 10. Because Jesus is so concise here. He's so right to the point. A lot of people struggle with it. And Piper says, "I think the aim of Jesus here is prevention, not destruction." And that's the take we're gonna we're gonna bring to this today: is how do we prevent this from happening? That means a lot coming from John Piper, by the way. If you've read John Piper, he has probably the most strict view of remarriage in the entire the, if anybody I know, really. If anybody that I read, and so for him to say, "Hey, this passage is about prevention," I think it's safe to say everybody agrees that's what Jesus is doing here. And so what we want to do today is that we're not punishing those who've been divorced. We're not you know, trying to, trying to you know, make your pain worse. What we're doing today is we're saying, how do we move forward with Jesus' view of marriage in our church, in our lives, with our children, in our situation today? Okay? So the question is, how do we stay married? And here's how Jesus begins to answer this question. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus goes back to creation. Isn't that interesting? Jesus comes back to creation. And he says, you know, let let me answer this question. You know, how should we think of marriage? Well, I want you to think about how God created marriage. You know, what did he do? You know what he did not do? He did not create the bachelor in the Garden of Eden, okay? I tell you what, that thing came from hell, not heaven, all right? If you've seen that show. You know what God didn't do? God did not create Adam and then, and then take a rib from Adam, create 12 ladies, you know, of all different shapes and personalities and, and temperaments. And then say, all right, Adam, I want you to go on a date with each one of these gals, smooch on them, promise them forever, and then drop 11 of them and take one, you know? I tell you what, that's a disaster. You know what he did? He brought him Eve. Eve, okay? He made Eve. And he brought Eve to Adam. Was Eve, was Adam disappointed? Was Adam like, that's all I got to choose from? No! Adam starts singing. If you read that passage in Genesis, he starts singing. Man, bone to my bones, flesh to my flesh. Man, I'm going to call her Eve. Wowzer, You know? And he took her as his wife, all right? You know, and think about this, man. Adam was not thinking, is there any other options here? Adam was thinking, I got giraffe or I got Eve. And I tell you what, Eve is the choice, man. It's the way to go. God created a male and female. Now, what are the implications of that? Here's the implication of that, okay? You, most of you, let's talk to the men first of all. Men in this room, most of you, most of you. Now, now most is the key word here because Paul tells us that there are some men that God has gifted for singleness. There are times in, in later on in life, possibly after marriage, where God's plan for you is singleness. But for most men, okay, you line up most guys, most young men, you know, here's the truth, the reality for you. God has made you for marriage, okay? God has made you for marriage. God has designed you for marriage. That's God's plan for you. God's plan is that you would leave your father and mother, that you would work hard, you'd provide for a family, and you would hold fast to your wife. And here's the question that I want to ask Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church today. It's a very pertinent question. Lincoln Avenue, what are you doing to prepare your sons for marriage, okay? If what Jesus says is true, and I believe it is, that God created us male and female, God created us in such a way that we're designed for marriage, and we've got to hit a home run here, this is the thing we're destined to do, we're destined to be a part of that, so what have you done to prepare your sons, your grandsons, your great-grandsons for marriage? You see, we prepare our kids for everything else, don't we? We, You know, if they're going to go play soccer or baseball or whatever, you know what you do? You do exactly what I do. You go out in the yard before the first practice and you try to prepare the kid. You know why? Because I don't want my son going out there hitting the ball and running the third. I want him to know which way to run. I want him to be prepared. I want him to know something about this deal. Well, how much more ought you prepare your son to be married? When should you start this? You know when that guy slaps him in the rear when he comes out of the womb? Start then, okay? Right then, you begin to prepare your son for marriage. Okay. Now, what, what does that look like? Well, first of all, you teach him, what does it mean to be a man? You teach him, what does it mean to be married? What is marriage? You talk to them about that. Okay. You know why this is so important? Because I bet if we had a, a raising of hands here today, and I would ask the question, how many of you got zero preparation for marriage? I bet you there would be a bunch of hands that would come up. Okay. I bet, I bet there's a lot of folks who got zero you know, nobody, nobody ever told you anything. Maybe you saw some things, you know, you saw some marriages lived out. They might have been good or they might have been a disaster. But a lot of folks had no preparation for marriage. Folks, we're created male and female. God said, leave your father and mother, cleave to your wife, hold fast to her, sacrifice for her, don't separate. This is a big deal. And therefore, at Lincoln Avenue, we ought to prepare our sons to be men who know how to get married. You see, we just take for granted people know that. They don't know that. Boys don't know how to do that. You gotta tell them. You gotta teach them. You gotta show them. One of the plagues of our generation, we all know this, guys, we know this. What's the sinful tendency of man? Sinful, sinful tendency of men is to not take responsibility, to not lead, to not take initiative. Sinful tendency of women to be controlling. Just go back, I mean it is, go back to the Garden of Eden and you see that very thing. You see Adam kicking back eating Doritos and you see Eve taking control of the fruit, right? I mean, I mean, you, you see it over and over again. And I know it's not universal, I know some men are more, you know, I get all that. But, but what I'm saying is God has made men to be initiated. And you know what you see that really bothers me in our society? You see, you see young men not taking the initiative to pursue godly young women. You see young men who are just sitting back saying, man, I hope one of them find me someday, you know. And you got a lot of women, you know what, you got a lot of young women who are pursuing. They're running hard after the young men. That's backwards. That is backwards. And you know why that's backwards? Because if that's the way the relation begin, relationship begins, man, you guys know this. You've been married. You know, you know what's going to be the rest of, the, of, the, of, the, of their life? It's going to be, honey, 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 you need to go talk to your son. Honey, 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 you need to go talk to your dad. Honey, honey, you need to go to church. Honey, you need to see if they need some help. Honey, you need it. You know, is that the way you want to live the rest of your life, guys? No one wants to live the rest of their life with a wife that's nagging them about everything, you know? He's like, you know, some wives are like, I let him be the leader. I tell him what to do, and then he goes and leads, you know? But that's the way it started out. For real. Train your sons how to initiate, how to lead, how to serve, how to practice those things at home. Give them give them opportunity to do that. One of the things I love about my son, my, my wife has done a good job with this. And we've tried to be intentional about it, you know, but he'll get a little money, he'll work hard. He works out, out at the in the oil field a little bit, just doing some guys, give him some some cleanup jobs and stuff, and he'll get a little money, and you know what he'll do? He'll take his mom out on a date. Little rascal never asked me, but he takes his mom out. <laughs> never, not once has he ever done that for me. Not once. But he will ask his mom frequently and, and he'll pay. And and I'll tell you what he loves to do. He does this every week, several times a week. He'll get some of his money and he'll walk down to Hutch's. It's on about three or four blocks. He'll walk down there. And he's been doing this for years. He'll get his mom a pop. He knows what she likes. Uh, And he'll get his mom a pop and he'll bring it back. You know, hey, it's preparation. It's preparation. How do you treat a lady? Initiate. Ladies, most of you were made to be a wife. Again, most, not all, most. Most of you are made to be a wife. What, what, you, what, what What's God want for you? He wants you to glorify him. But you know what? Part of the plan for you is to be pursued by a godly man and to respond to appropriate godly male leadership. This is harder, okay? In my opinion, I got both girls and boy. But, but in my opinion, having girls is harder. This this preparation for marriage is harder. You know why? Because because part of what you have to teach them is to wait. To wait. And it... There's all kinds of godly young men, and I'm like, "How come you're not pursuing my Hannah?" You know, you, not you, you, you know, not you, not you, not you, not you, you, you know. And, and, but, but you gotta wait, you know. And she's gotta learn to wait. And and, and for a godly young what lady, that's a tough thing, tough thing to learn when to to respond, you know. Because a lot of times you got all the wrong people pursuing. And and, and, and for a godly young lady, she's got to be secure enough in herself to say, "No, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no." Nope. And to respond to the right one—that's tricky. They got to know that. They got to know, you know. You, you know what? A lot of Godly young ladies will think, "Well, man, you know, this is the, all I got pursuing me is this guy, you know, and I know he's not the best, but that's all I got." No, no. That that young lady needs her mom and dad saying, "You wait, sweetheart. You are precious and you are valuable, and God's going to bring you the right guy." My wife told me uh she's good at this, but she she said, she said, we need to teach our girls to do hard relational things. Cause a wife has to do a lot of that, doesn't she? You know, she's she's got a lot of times bear kind of the the bulk of the communication and of the kind of smoothing things over and dealing with conflict. A lot of times a wife has to has to handle a lot of that. She's gotta be able to do hard relational things. She's gotta be good at friendship. Listen, we gotta prepare our kids for marriage. And let me let me tell you one thing, okay? I know some of you are going to disagree with me. That's fine. But here's my opinion. Dating is not preparation for marriage. Okay? Now, I'm not saying... I mean, you can think whether it's good or bad or neutral or whatever. But I'm just telling you this. I don't think it's preparation for marriage. Okay? When you have a system where you you go out, you break up, you go out, you break up. That's not preparation for marriage. Because you know why? Marriage doesn't work that way. Okay? You know how many times I break up with my wife? None. Okay? Okay? Zero. That's, that's not the way marriage works. You don't get mad. and No. So, so we've, we've got to be intentional about that in our church, Lincoln Avenue. We've got, we got to prepare for marriage. Wow. Where would our time go? Wow. Okay. Here we go. Real quick. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Okay. What do you do when you get a wife? Gentlemen, you hold fast to her. Okay. If you are with her right now, go ahead and hold fast. Shelby squeeze brother that's what it means hold fast okay tight just short of a headlock okay but but the word hold fast means cleave cement okay cling together okay that's what it means and a husband lives the rest of his life figuring out ways to draw his wife near, to cling to her, to hold fast. He, he, he does this in a lot of different ways. He prays for her. He prays with her. Statistically, the most powerful thing you can do in your relationship is to pray for your spouse. What does, he, what is it, what does the couple do? They, they they put to death their own sin. That's one of the ways we hold fast. Most all relationship problems in marriage come about through sin. And so if we are putting to death our sin. And if we're yielding to Jesus, if we're saying, Jesus, I want to obey you. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be self-centered. I want to give myself to this person. I want to be generous with them. I, I want you to give me the power to give to them. We're putting to death our sin. Marriage is a spiritual thing. We fellowship. This is number three. Fellowship with those who will sharpen your marriage. Men, you need other men in your life who will ask you, who will look you in the eye and say, how is your marriage? Are you loving your wife? Are you dating her? Are you taking her out on dates? Are you ministering to her? Are you praying for her? Are you confessing your sins? How are you?" do in your marriage you don't need men in your life who make a joke of marriage okay that's who you don't need and that's the vast majority of men you don't need those guys all right i'm sorry you need to minister to them and and share christ with them but you need guys in your life who are going to take marriage serious and they're going to hold you to that ladies you need women in your life who are going to say hey are you respecting your husband how how are you doing building him up how are you doing affirming him you don't need ladies who are going to make a joke about submission okay and then I'll tell you what, there's a, there's a multitude of those ladies. And, and you need women who are going to take marriage serious. who are going to hold them and say, Jesus has called me to be a wife. And it's a beautiful thing. You need those kind of women in your life. You need to employ the biblical truth about relationships. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? All that relational stuff in the Bible, man, it all applies to marriage, doesn't it? Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How about humility? How about forbearance? How about forgiveness? Man, all those things are practiced in marriage. Employ them okay and what's the picture that we're going to get okay so a man leaves his father and mother he cleaves to his wife and what happens they become one flesh that's the way god sees us in marriage okay as an extension of one another one life one flesh and in fact verse 9 is very specific about what happens what therefore god has joined together let not man separate who joins us together god does god does something supernatural in the marriage relationship god 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 does it okay you say well, no 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 i was at vegas you know Elvis is the one who married us you know we were a little tipsy it's a state in Nevada are they really even a state you know doesn't matter I don't know where you got married or who married you but here's what I know at every wedding God does something supernatural it says God joins them together there's something there we don't even understand because God is is a supernatural God and marriage is is an institution of God and God creates the marriage union now listen that's why it's a big deal that's why verse 9 ends with what God Is joined together, let not man separate. Listen, if God is the creator of marriage, if God does something supernatural in marriage, then it's a big deal for you to tear down what God has done, right? I was back in uh, working in the preschool last Sunday night in the small groups. And then there were two little boys and one little boy was building a Lego deal. And another little boy came over and he smashed what the first little boy had created. And I tell you what, I'm pretty quick still. I mean, I'm getting older, but I'm pretty quick. But I could not get there in time before it was all out MMA, you know. I mean, it was bam, 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 you know. And I got in the middle and separated them, you know. And, and man, I mean, they were not big enough to hurt each other. But their feelings are just, damn. I mean, the one little boy who had built the tower, I mean, as I'm talking to him about forgiveness and being kind and everything, he's like you know, and he's putting the, I mean, he's just so upset. And the other little boy's over there going, you know, I mean. I mean they're just it's just a huge deal, okay? Well, here's what I'm telling you, God creates marriage and when you tear it down, that's a big deal. Here you're tearing down something that God has created because the Bible says that marriage is a picture of Jesus in the church we don't have time to look at this but Ephesians 5 read it beginning in verse I think it's 22 all the way through the end of the chapter verse 33 over and over again it talks about Jesus Christ is is in the church is a picture of marriage we are a picture of Jesus in the church and, and so some of you some of you are here today and you're saying man pastor that's great all you're saying up there but you don't know what it's like to to live with my spouse. You don't know what it's like to live with someone who's mean. You don't know what it's like to live with someone who's disrespectful. You don't know what it's like to live with an adulteress. Well, you may be right. I may not know what that's right, what that's like, but Jesus does because here's the reality. Jesus loves a mean wife, okay? You're it, by the way. I not know if you caught that. Jesus loves a cold and indifferent wife. That would be you. How many times are you cold and indifferent with Jesus, Jesus has loved her well. Jesus has loved an adulterous wife. You know, Jesus has loved a prostituting wife. That's us. The Bible is very clear about that in the Old Testament. And Jesus has loved us well. He's provided. He's poured grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing, forgiveness upon forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus is a covenant keeper. Okay? Did you hear that? He's a covenant keeper. That's the picture of Jesus in the church. And so in marriage, okay, in marriage what we're dealing with is we are, we are imaging the covenant between Jesus and the church. And so no matter what I do in my marriage, here's the reality. I am imaging Jesus in the church okay you know you may be tempted to say in your marriage it's hard I'm bailing out I'm checking out maybe I won't get divorced but I'm sure not going to be very nice well let me tell you you're living out in front of your kids and in front of everybody the picture of Jesus in the church so however you live in your marriage that's what you're saying about Jesus because marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church and as God's people we need to show our, our children our neighbors we need to show them that we are a covenantal people we need to show them from our kids, from the time they're born to the time one of us dies, we need to show them this is what it means to make a covenant. This is what it means when Jesus says, I'll never leave or forsake you. He is faithful. He is steadfast. And marriage is a picture of that. Hosea is one of the most interesting books in the Bible. Hosea is not a... This is not the book you go through with your son to find a wife, by the way, Okay? Go to Genesis or somewhere else, not Hosea. But this is a picture of what Jesus deals with with his wife, okay? He tells the prophet to go do this. He says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore a son. She has several more kids with Hosea, and then she takes off. She takes off on him, and she she prostitutes herself, and she, she lives with other men. Until finally she gets sold into the sex trade. Things don't go well for her. And she's on the, on, the, on the slave block being sold. And in chapter 3 verse 1. The Lord says to Hosea. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man. And is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods. Verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. And a homer of lethic of barley. And I said to her. You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore. Or belong to another man. So will I be also to you. Jesus gets this thing. Okay. Now, a lot of times we think he doesn't get it. He gets it. He gets it. He uh, he knows. He, he's lived this for thousands of years. By the way. What God has joined together. Let not man separate. Now I'm going to give Exactly. About 90 seconds. No. Maybe a little more than that. To probably what many of you want me to spend the entire sermon on. And that is what does separate a marriage. Well. Let, let me just. Death. For sure. Let me. I'll tell you what I'm sure about. Death. Okay. Death separates marriage. Uh, in Romans 7. It says that. Um, there's going to be. God's got something new for us in heaven. Something better. And so. There's not going to be marriage in heaven. So. Death separates a marriage. Um. Beyond that, beyond that, here's what I want to encourage you to. I want to encourage you to seek the scriptures, okay? Let me give you a little bit of guidance. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus seems to imply that there are situations, not all, but some situations in which adultery separates a marriage. Matthew five thirty two. but I say to you that every, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. So obviously there are times, it seems to be from what Jesus says there, that adultery... Especially habitual adultery will separate a marriage union. Um, there are times when when, despite the best efforts of of one of the spouse, the other spouse simply will not will not keep their covenant. The other issue the other situation uh, that the Bible gives us some light on is first Corinthians seven. It says in verse 15, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. That seems to describe a situation in which a believing spouse has tried and tried and tried to be married to an unbelieving spouse. The unbelieving spouse simply will not uh, yield to Christ. They won't respond. They won't be married. They, They leave. And the Bible says there, Paul says there, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Some of your Bibles may say not in bondage. Uh, God has called us to peace. Now, what exactly does that mean? We're not sure. Um, some people believe that it means only that they are free to divorce but not remarry. Others believe that it, it, they're free to remarry. Um, what do I believe? I, I, I tend to believe that it is, in some cases, a, a, an opportunity for remarriage. But let, let me say this. Many of you have been in my office and, and you've asked me the tough question Pastor, should should I remarry? Can I remarry? Um, and you will notice that in, in all situations, 100% since I've been here, I have never told anybody what to do. Okay? And the reason I've never told anybody what to do is because I don't want you taking my permission. Okay? Here's what I believe I believe this is such a big deal that I think a person in this situation. The first thing they need to do is fall on their face before Jesus and say, Jesus, guide me through the scriptures. I think they need to get counsel. I think they need to look at all these passages. I think they need to seek the Lord. I think they need to say, God, what is your plan for the rest of my life? Lord, is it singleness? And if it is, Jesus, you are more than able to meet my every need and take care of me. Lord, if it's remarriage, if, that, if that's your will, if that's a possibility for me, Lord, then direct me to the right person. Okay, show me, show me. I need your help. Okay, but but definitely what we don't want to do is create and here's what's happened in a lot of people's minds. They've created categories. Well, if this happens, then I then I then this, this, this. I don't think it's that simple. I think marriage is a huge deal. And I think when it ends, there ought to be a time of of intense seeking of the Lord. And a lot of our folks have handled that so well. And I've just been so proud of them, how they've handled that process. Some have just taken years to pray. And uh, and to really get a sense of what the Lord wanted for them. And I respect that immensely. Folks, marriage is a big deal. And one of the legacies of Lincoln, I will, I will have failed if we don't make this a reality. One of the legacies of Lincoln is that this was a church that took marriage seriously. We need to be that church. We need to be a church that, that promotes this. And we try. You'll notice our bookshelves are full of marriage books. You'll notice that we have silly things like camping retreats that all eight of you really enjoyed, you know? Just a little dig because you didn't come to my deal. But anyway, uh, we need to go hard after this. And I think my greatest prayer is that the generation of children that come out of this church will be kids that have some instruction on this. I got to go to the junior high small group a couple of weeks ago when we didn't have team kids. And I was so blessed. Here was the scene. A group of junior high boys. Daniel Castor did a phenomenal job. He was teaching that day. And you got guys like Blake Ward, who's, who's given insight. He's over here. And you got guys like Brian Billings. And, and you had guys like, um, there were several others. I'm trying to think who was there. Great guys, great guys, guys that love Jesus. I think Gary Babb was there. And, 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 and they're, they're just supporting these boys. And the topic of the day was lust and pornography. Man, I just thought, I saw how many men in my generation, many of your generation, got zero instruction on that. And I thought, man, here's some young men that, that are being trained up. They're being trained up in how does a man handle himself in these areas? we got to be that church. It's not an option. we got to be it. we got to do whatever it takes to be that church. Let's pray together. Father, help us to handle these issues well. Lord, help us to handle issues of, of faith and issues of marriage and issues of conflict and issues of divorce. God, I pray that we'd be the kind of church that, Lord, we... We welcome in those who've been wounded by divorce, those who've been hurt. And we, we welcome them in, we bring them in, we care for them, we nurture them. We're, we're a blessing to them. God, help us to be a biblical church. Help us to exalt marriage, to encourage each other, to love our spouse as well. Father, we, we want to we be what we're created to be. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.